Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 3 and D podcast. And no, your ears do not deceive you. I am not Justin Lewis. I am Joe Molinax. If you've been uh, following GBB and our podcast for a while, you you probably figured that out by now. But I'm the site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com. Justin does a wonderful job both as a writer for us and as a podcaster. Justin is feeling a little under the weather, though, this week. So I am filling in for him on this installment of the 3 and D podcast. He is so gracious to allow for me to, to take his, uh, his baby and run with it for the week. And we have a wonderful guest that I'm very excited to uh, be joined by. So it's pretty, uh, pretty fun to have this chance, and I'm looking forward to it. I hope Justin feels better. I'm sure he will. Nothing too serious. He should be back next week. Uh, ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow Justin himself at J underscore Timberfake underscore, which remains one of the very best Twitter handles out there. Um, you can also follow the show at 3ND Podcast. You can follow our blog uh, that I'm fortunate enough to be at the helm of at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax. Our guest on this episode of the show is one of the very best out there when it comes to writing about the NBA we are very excited to have him back on this program. I know he's been on in the past with Justin. Uh, Jonathan Sharks, how are you, sir? How are things going? Um, it's pretty crazy that we're in this space where the NBA is resuming. Uh, not too long ago, they were in a bubble trying to finish their season, literally about two months ago, actually. And now we're watching preseason basketball sans the bubble. Uh, Minnesota, for example, is where the Grizzlies have spent the last couple of days. And it's all kind of surreal to see these empty arenas and these empty seats and and realize that the NBA is going to, you know, kind of grind forward as best they can and push through the season. Well, I mean, get used to it. Like, I don't know if you follow college basketball, but it's been a weird season in that. So, like, not only the empty arenas, but with college basketball this year, you have to check the next morning to see if the game was even played. Like, the games are canceled, like, an hour before game time sometimes. I, I imagine it's something the NBA once it gets going. Absolutely. No, and I think it was smart of the NBA to do their schedule the way that they have, just in case they have to reschedule or cancel. Or, you know, probably all a, lot, of- a lot of games where, like, two days notice or one day notice, you're playing somebody else, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and – um, I appreciate you joining us. I know you're a busy guy. It's a busy time of year Thanks for everybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, follow him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at Jonathan, uh, T J A R K S. Uh, again, he's a staff writer over at the ringer. One of the very best websites out there. He's one of the very best writers, one of the very best sites, uh, pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, we are at the point in our coverage of the Grizzlies because before we started recording the show, uh, we were talking about the various you know entities that are out there that cover the Grizzlies at this point, whether it's the Daily Memphian, Commercial Appeal, us, um, and everybody that's on these media calls, doing these Zoom availabilities, listening to these players talk, and of course, Coach Jenkins uh, is available almost every day as well. One of the fascinating things that you continue to hear as they're working through this preseason is trying to figure out how they are going to manage without Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow, especially Jaron Jackson Jr. Because no disrespect to Justice Winslow, I'm one of the folks out there that's highest on him. He, he just hasn't played yet. So it's hard to say that they really miss what they've never had. Uh, but Jaron, we're all very familiar with at this stage, at least if you follow the Memphis Grizzlies. And when you look at the roster and 
Saturday night was a great example. The first preseason game, they defeat Minnesota by two points. But of course, in preseason, that doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what the final score was. It, it matters how the team looked and the way that they competed, the schemes that they implemented, the lineups they used. Uh, the question has been, who's going to start? How are they going to try to to t- replace the spacing of Jaron Jackson Jr. In the bubble, they had Anthony Tolliver, and they started him because he was a three-point threat. Obviously, Tolliver's no longer on the team. So they went with a starting lineup of Ja Morant, Grayson Allen, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, and Jonas Valanciunas. And who kind of had mixed results. Kyle Anderson looked really good at times. And Kyle Anderson's a really good basketball player, except for the fact he's not a prolific shooter. So it, it made sense for him to get that start. He had been a starter uh, in the bubble with the injuries that had occurred. But Grayson Allen struggled a little bit. And of course, it's one preseason game, and I wrote about that in our trending in Memphis uh, series that we're doing for these new mini series that the NBA has now. Uh, Grayson Allen struggled. Desmond Bain looked amazing. The uh, Anthony Melton looked really solid too. But again, Melton's not a volume three-point shooter. So when you're looking at this Grizzlies team as they try to tread water without Jaron Jackson Jr. in particular, but Justice Winslow as well, uh, who do you think makes the most sense in that spot next to John Morant? Because John Morant looked phenomenal uh, in that in that first preseason game, and they're continuing to figure out fits alongside him. Um, statistically speaking, in terms of talent, do you think Grayson Allen is the correct choice? Do you think he sticks there? Or do you think maybe in these next few games, Coach Jenkins is going to make a move? So, I, I mean, the first question is, how long are those guys out exactly? Jared, J- when are they supposed to come back? Uh, there's no definite timetable because the way that the Grizzlies handle injuries, they're going to err on the side of caution regardless. Uh, I think Justice Winslow's probably a couple of weeks, the way that, uh, uh, Zach Kleiman made it sound when we, uh, when he was available after the NBA draft. Um, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be out until around Martin Luther King day. Uh, okay. and, and what I base that off of is Kleiman said the fact that the NBA started the season earlier than expected, uh, hurt them in terms of their availability. He said Justice definitely would have been back, and Jaron probably would have been right on the cusp of being back around the projected start time of MLK Day. So um, I, I think it's fair to estimate that Justice is, you know, maybe a couple of weeks away, and Jaron's probably about a month away. So I think for me, what I would do, and I don't know how feasible this is politically, but I would try to start Gorgie Jang at center and open up the floor that way, and then I'd start Brandon Clark at the four. Because I think Clark's the second-best player on this team with Jaron out. So I want to get him out there, and to get him out there means I got to play him with a front-court spacer, and that's Gorgie. I mean, maybe you can't bench Jonas, but I would probably – I'd run out Gorgie and Clark as much as possible as a combination. I think that's the best way to get your best, most talented player and get him some space to operate in. Brandon Clark is pretty darn good, and I'll, I've read and heard your words about him. And when I talk about national folks that you know I've listened to, you're one of the ones that I have in mind when I say this. You know, Brandon Clark to me, from watching him play, he's an elite role player. He, he's extremely good at you know finishing at the rim. He's a very versatile defender. Uh, he can do some basic things off the dribble. You know, maybe one dribble and, and shoot that floater on pick and roll situations. But in terms of his shooting, which I do think can improve, in terms of his creation, which is the main thing that I'm most nervous about with him, creating off the dribble, 
you know, he, he seems like he's very dependent on others. So, but I do think that Yang and his way of spacing the floor would allow for Clark to be more valuable in that way. I'd be interested to see if they'd be willing to bench Jonas. Uh, there's three guys that it sounds like Jenkins is a non-starter in terms of changing from being a starter. And that would be Ja, obviously, Dylan Brooks, which is a bit more surprising. And we can talk about that more if you want. And, and Jonas Valanciunas. And it's trying to find two guys. We assume that it'll be Winslow and Jackson Jr. eventually, but trying to find two guys to fill that void in the here and now. Grayson Allen is someone to me, Jonathan, that really jumps out as someone who had an awesome bubble. You know what I mean? And we saw remarkable offensive basketball. We saw tremendous shot making from guys that are capable scorers, but it seems like it was accentuated in that environment. I don't know that Grayson Allen's going to be able to replicate that in you know the normal NBA spectrum and as normal as it can be without any fans. I just kind of saw Grayson Allen's opportunity at being successful in Orlando as finite in terms of being limited in that space. Am I being too hard on Grayson Allen? Do you think he can be what Taylor Jenkins wants him to be? Or do you kind of agree that there, there probably needs to be something done differently on the wing? Desmond Bain just arrived in Memphis a month ago. So I understand why they're giving Grayson the first shot. But just from what, even in just watching one preseason game, and I real small sample size theater, everybody wants to overreact. I get that. From watching his college film, Desmond Bain to me makes more sense as a fit next to John Morant than Grayson Allen at least does. If you wanted to argue for DeAnthony Melton, I could see that. But just from watching Bain's college tape and his initial play with the Grizzlies, his ability to create off the dribble in the pick and roll, his ability to pass, be that elite spot-up shooter and a dribble-shoot kind of guy, Bain just – if you're going to start somebody for the sake of spacing, I would go Bain over Grayson. Am I being too hasty in my judgment of Allen and my excitement for Bain? Maybe. I think the question is more about the secondary creation. So the idea with Grayson is I think he'll give you more secondary kind of off-the-bounce playmaking. So I kind of thought Bain would come in as a spot-up shooter, maybe a movement shooter, but you're seeing him as a ball handler too? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. No, I mean, O'Connor of the Ringer compared him to Malcolm Brogdon. And See, I, I, I thought that was a pretty generous comparison. Oh, Malcolm Brogdon I, is a whole great. different level. Because, like, I don't think Bain can guard, really. No, no. I'm talking about his offensive game. I'm agreeing with you defensively. But, again, if you're starting next to Dylan Brooks – Dylan Brooks is going to be the guy that takes on that top defensive matchup on the perimeter anyway. Yeah, I, I guess oh, I'm looking at it like maybe less about the starting, but if I'm trying to find the five, I think for sure I'd have John Melton out there. Right, yes, I, I would smaller. agree with that. I'd probably go Ja. See, if I'm the closing games, I would go Ja, Melton, Brooks, Clark, Gorgie. But, and then maybe I'd have Jonas kind of anchoring the second unit. I think what's re- like the thing about it is, man, is like without Jaron out there, Jaron's kind of the guy that makes his whole thing work. Like I'm mm-hmm. until he comes back, I have pretty low expectations. I think it's going to be a struggle every night to space the floor well enough to survive. Like I, I don't know. I think he. See, I'm curious what you think as a Memphis guy. To me, he's really the key to this team, and not Jaws, Jaron. As a two-way player, I think that's very fair. Definitely defensively in terms of what he's capable of doing. Offensively, especially, and again, it was one preseason game, so you try to not overreact. But John Morant dominated Minnesota in that first preseason game. He was the best player on the floor while D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns were on the floor. He And he didn't break a sweat. You know, He posted a 20-point, 11 assists, hit a couple of threes. 
every aspect of the pace of play within that game was within John Morant's grasp. See, it's interesting because I feel like, in a way, like the more obvious, Jaron's obviously needs a point guard, but sure. I feel like John needs spacing just as much to function at a high level. Well, and I that's think the are... question is like spacing and defense. How do you find that around Jaw without Jaron? That to me is like the sure. big question this first month. I would look at it less in terms of positionally or what about this guy and this guy's spot. I just think I wonder how dogmatic will Taylor be versus how do I holistically find the four guys who best complement Jaw given the limitations of this roster? And that, well, that the, to me is the question versus going like one spot versus one spot. I wouldn't lock in anyone besides Jaw. Sure. I guess he has to. I do think he likes Valentunas and Brooks, but in general, I agree with you. And I think Taylor, to an extent, agrees with you. Because a lot of times against the Timberwolves, you saw opportunity for Jenkins to trot out four guards. Like there were yeah, times where, if I remember where Dylan Brooks was the Taylor, four. Didn't Taylor like go through lineups really fast last year where he'd play guys for like two or three minute chunks yeah. and have new lineups? And he would play them for about 11 minutes. Uh, he'd have about 11 yeah. man rotation. Yeah. He said so he I, said that in a media availability that he was thinking he'd stick with 10 men this year. But we're all kind of assuming he'll eventually expand to the 11, especially once you know they play 16 games in the first 30 days or something like that. Uh, I would imagine he's going to space out the minutes a little bit. Yeah, I, so I would say I would lower less for the starting lineup. To me, your jaw is like your your main guy, and then I'd probably use Jonas to anchor the second unit. And that gets him his touches. Hopefully, keeps him happy. And then you're trying to find enough shooting around those guys. I mean, honestly, could Killian Tilly play? He's a really good shooter. What's his deal? He has a hamstring thing right now. He's always hurt. That, that yeah. was a problem coming out of college. But at the same so time, the funny, the funny thing about the Grizzlies is, is it really a legitimate hamstring thing? You know what I mean? Or is he just mm. out of shape and he's coming back and like Brandon Clark is out right now. And um, Jonte Porter, it says knee soreness for his injury reports. But the, I mean, the to Grizz- be fair, Tilly and Jonte were, were always hurt. So sure. I, I'm sure. But I also – you know I can see them about? being cautious with those two guys more than anything. In college, I actually wrote an article saying the, the uh, Gonzaga should bench Hachimura and start Tilly and Clark. <laughs> oh, well, we might, we, may not be, we may not be too far from that, just on a different level of play. Uh, we're chatting with Jonathan uh, Sharks of The Ringer. He does a great job writing for that wonderful uh, website. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Jonathan, T-J-A-R-K-S. And again, you're listening to 3 D. Your ears do not deceive you. This is Joe Mullinax, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com, the host of GBB Live, filling in for Justice Lewis, this or Justin Lewis, excuse me. We're talking about Justice Winslow. Uh, filling in for Justin Lewis on this week's show. Uh, before we go to break, I'm curious as to, you know, we were kind of referencing that four-guard lineup, the idea of Dylan Brooks at the four. And again, Parker Fleming, my associate editor, makes fun of me for still calling people, you know, the four the idea of positionless basketball and all that, you know, it's guards, wings, and bigs. That's all fair. I, I do think that when you watch this team play, somebody that was missed more, even more than we realized, and we gave him a lot of credit in the Orlando bubble, was Tyus Jones in, in terms of his ability to man that second yeah, unit. Sure. Valanchunas as a second unit guy, you're, you're – I do think you'd have some people raise their eyebrows at that, but not me because I am somebody, I don't know how much you know about my backstory. I lived in Memphis for three years. That's how I was introduced to GBB. But I, I kind of have that outsider perspective of the Grizzlies. I didn't grow up in the city. I thought Zach Randolph 
would have been a phenomenal sixth man in terms of his ability to score, his ability to rebound, struggles defensively, especially the pick and roll. Fast forward a few years, and we say the same things about Valanciunas. So I'm curious as to what your take is. If you had a second unit that was anchored by Valanciunas and Tyus Jones instead of Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones, would you still have the same level of production? Because the Tyus Jones, the Anthony Melton, Brandon Clark reserve core, you could argue that's the best bench in the NBA or one of the top five benches in the NBA in terms of their production. Do you, yeah, if you I take th- out I Clark think- and put in Valanciunas, does that mess that up? No, I, I think you, you, you can finesse it a bit, especially the way he does his rotations, Jenkins. You can like take out Jonas for like four minutes and kind of because also like there's no there's no longer really any quote unquote second units right like the best sure. teams st- stagger their stars so Milwaukee always has either like just for example Milwaukee right they'll either have Giannison or Middleton in so that's not a, a quote unquote true second unit but if you have two stars there's always one on the floor mm-hmm. so I wouldn't worry too much about who has the best bench anymore even fair enough and I do think there is kind of a transition when you look at basketball, I think that's a fair point. Uh, Mike Prada, of, formerly of SB Nation, uh, he's convinced me in my talks with him and reading his stuff that defensive rebounding should be a team stat from now on. It shouldn't be something that is a focus of one individual player, which helps with your evaluation of Jaron Jackson Jr. For sure. You, <laughs> when you look at a, if you look at a seven-footer who can't rebound for crap, uh, especially defensively. And, but again, you watch Jaron play, his skill set is that of a wing at this point, more than that of a true big. So if you're not judging him at, for his rebounding, and you and again, the Anthony Melton is a very good rebounder. You have Dylan Brooks, who can be, when invested, a very good rebounder. So you can get that team mentality into that process and, and kind of gut through it, even without Jaron in the fold. Uh, we're going to go take a quick break. If you are going and doing anything, make sure you're not going anywhere away from this show. Again, this is 3ND, Joe Mullinex filling in for Justin Lewis. We're talking with Jonathan Sharks. We'll be back covering the Grizzlies as a whole in terms of their draft that they had, how they'll fit into the Western Conference play-in picture and all that stuff. You're starting to see season predictions coming out. We'll get Jonathan's take on all that. You're listening to 3ND. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 3ND Podcast. Again, your ears do not deceive you. Justin Lewis is off this week. I'm Joe Molinax, site manager of GBB and the host of GBB Live, filling in for him and talking with his wonderful guest for this episode, Jonathan Sharks of The Ringer. Obviously, the Grizzlies had an interesting draft night. They had an interesting offseason in general, aside from bringing in uh, Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain, who we talked about in the previous segment, Killian Tilly, who we talked about in the previous segment, Sean McDermott. They signed a couple of, I believe it's Exhibit 10 contract guys who are almost certainly going to get waived, but they'll wind up with the Memphis Hustle. Uh, And we're all assuming that the Grizzlies are going to do the G League bubble. Um, You look at their decision to invest in John Conchar, invest in the mentioned, aforementioned John Tay Porter from the previous segment to invest in DeAnthony Melton and actually get a pretty good contract. If you read pieces like John Hollinger, who saw Melton as the most valuable shooting guard on the market to get him at roughly the mid-level exception, even a little bit less than that as it's a descending deal. They made some good savvy investments. They didn't really get better from the outside. They're, they're counting on internal improvement between what they did in Orlando and the bubble 
between John Morant taking a sophomore year jump, a junior year jump in terms of NBA experience from Jaron Jackson Jr., the addition of Justice Winslow eventually. They're, they're hoping that he integrates nicely into the schemes of Taylor Jenkins. So when you look at this Grizzlies offseason, what do you make of Memphis as they approach a loaded Western Conference where you can argue that everybody except for the Oklahoma City Thunder is actively trying to make that 10-team play-in at the very least? So you have 14 teams for 10 spots, essentially. Is Memphis still somebody that should be considered a threat for that play-in? Or have too many other teams gotten ahead of them in the short term while Memphis appears to be prioritizing, in my opinion correctly, long-term gains with the guys that they already have uh, in the fold? I mean, they're definitely a threat, but if I'm remembering correctly, basically once Jaron went down, they pretty much fell apart in the bubble. Is that right? It wasn't great. I mean, they competed yeah. pretty well in the play-in game against Portland, especially considering how banged up Jaw was. Clark had like 20 points in that game. Right. Clark I looked really that good. that was the thing I was waiting for. Is like, if Jaron's going to go down, Clark's got to step. See, this to me is how I look at it. Okay, Jaron's gone. That means Clark's got to step up. That means you got to put space around Clark. That to me is the flow chart how I'm looking at this team. So if they're not going to put space around Clark and Jaron's gone, I don't think they have enough pieces. So until Jaron comes back, it's just a matter of how flexible Taylor is going to be with his rotation. And so for me, until that happens, you're pretty much just trying to tread water. And then it'll come down to who's healthier. Right? I think we do these kind of previews. You always forget that part of it. It's like, okay, yeah, there's X amount of teams that want Y amount of spots. Well, if I knew right now of those teams, which one was healthiest, you would know who probably made it, right? Memphis is in the running, but last year, right, they weren't healthy enough. If they're healthy this year. If Jaron's healthy, if Jaw's healthy, I think they have a chance at that spot. If Jaron comes back slow, if they got to be careful and limited with him, I think they got a little shot at it. Well, you have a group of teams that are legitimate contenders, right? The two Los Angeles teams. Denver has probably earned the right to be considered that. Uh, Portland, in my opinion, is quietly. I think they had the best offseason of anybody, except maybe the Lakers. So really? Portland should be – I thought that the addition of Robert Covington is phenomenal for them. Um, he, he checks a lot of boxes defensively as a spacer. Uh, I, I think Portland's going to be a top five or six team for sure. Um, and then obviously Utah should still be around. Phoenix should be up there in that mix. Uh, I think people are irrationally high on New Orleans, but that's probably just the Memphis-New Orleans uh, rivalry there for you. I think the Grizzlies are going to be right on that outside looking in fringe point of the 10-11 play-in, and I haven't you know, come up with my final prediction on that yet, but that's where I am at this moment. I do wonder if they are in that spot, say they're the 10, and the 7 seed, it's all going to come down to matchups, right? If that 7 seed is the Utah Jazz, do I think the Grizzlies can beat the Jazz twice in a row? Yeah, I, do. I think they do. If that 7 seed is the Phoenix Suns, do I think the Grizzlies can beat that team twice in a row? So no, I don't. I think Phoenix would would run them off the floor probably in the first game. It's all going to come down to who's healthiest. I think that's exactly right. And it's also going to come down to the matchups and how a team fits against another team and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I I wonder how you who you think Memphis matches up well against. So I'm using that as kind of the baseline. I think they match up against a team like Utah well. I think they match up against a team like San Antonio maybe well. The 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 addition of uh, Vassal, I think is how you pronounce it, from San Antonio alongside White and Murray, um, Duante Murray, that's terrifying defensively. 
Sacramento is not a good matchup for uh, for Memphis. At least it wasn't last year. De'Aaron Fox uh, owned John Morant, for lack of a better word, in terms of their matchup. Um, New Orleans really beat up on Memphis last year at times. And one time it was even without Zion. Now, obviously, the Pelicans are going to look a lot different. Drew Holiday was a major part of that. And uh, you could argue that the Pelicans, whether they're better or worse after that trade, I think they're worse. I'm just curious, as again, we say they're on the fringe of that. Who were some teams that you look at and you say, oh, the Grizzlies can hang with them in a theoretical play-in situation? And then who are some teams that you look and say, oh, gosh, if the Grizzlies get them in 7-10 or 8-9, they don't have a shot? I would say I think the the advantage that Memphis has, to me, the best version of Memphis is Jaron at the five, Clark at the four. So if you can play a team that depends on traditional big men, then you can spread them out with, with Jaron out there and run like Clark, Jaw pick and rolls. I think that's probably – and then probably a, I would think a bigger, slower team that depends on size that you can spread out. That would be the team I think Memphis could be in a plan series. So that's like – honestly, I think Denver, they, they can give Jokic trouble with that kind of lineup. Utah, obviously, with Gobert. Uh, and then like New Orleans, I feel like New Orleans kind of guards themselves now because they have no shooting. So that gives you a chance against them. Right. I agree with that completely. Uh, Phoenix, maybe, because maybe Jaron can beat DeAndre Ayton and you can spread him out. And then maybe Jaws too fast for Chris Paul now. That's possible. Phoenix, maybe. Even Portland. I think you can spread out Portland. Like, to me, I think you said about Covington. To me, he doesn't solve their problem at all. Like, Covington was terrible against the Lakers last year. And, like, he doesn't give them a win with any creation ability, right? The Lakers last year against the Rockets double-teamed James Harden, and the Rockets had no answer for it because guys at Covington couldn't create shots. So you got to Dame Lillard, the same thing's going to happen again, I think. Yeah, but again, Portland didn't have Covington. Portland was, I think it was Carmelo Anthony starting at the four. Covington's a massive upgrade from that. And if you have, if, if Derek Jones is your starter on the, at the three, as an athletic wing that can cut and defend a little bit. Uh, to me, a Lillard, McCollum, Derek Jones Jr., or Gary Trent, again, they're kind of deep. Rodney Hood, um, Covington, and then Nurkic, a healthy Nurkic for a full season. I think that makes a world of difference. That puts Portland in a higher pl- or on a higher plane to not have to worry about the Lakers or the Clippers in that very first playoff series. And then once you get to the second and third round of the playoffs, all bets are off. So I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm high on what Covington brings as a defender and shooter, I think, alongside that backcourt. And again, health is, is the primary piece there, of course. McCollum was banged up, or at least they say McCollum was banged up. He didn't look banged up. Uh, cooking Morant there at the end in that play-in game. He looked perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, health is going to be a major part of it. And, again, matchups are going to be key there I as guess well. that's part of it, too, is, like, Jaws could get better on defense. Absolutely. And then you, and then Jaws got to get help so he can get better on defense. So he's and not that's one of the tired on uh, too, too much on offense. And, again, you don't want to get too excited about one preseason game. But I wrote about this for the site. One of the things that had me most excited about Morant was the fact that you could tell he had made investments, not necessarily, I mean, he always has had the athleticism, right? The lateral movement, it, it translates. He's able to do those things offensively. He can do it as well defensively. You can tell he's invested time. He's invested energy to understand the scheme better. He, he was defending the rim on Saturday night. He was there doing law of verticality, Roy Hibbert style, uh, straight up and down, jumping up, making shots more difficult. 
it was impressive to watch him invest on that end of the floor as well. I don't know how sustainable that is because he's asked to be so much offensively for the team, especially with Jaron out. But at the same time, it was good to see him making that investment, trying to be that guy for the team. We're finishing up here with Jonathan Sharks. That, um, that Go ahead. This is Justin Winslow then, right? If you're going to yeah. bring in someone to help out John, that brings us to Winslow. And that, that'll be exactly – that's an excellent segue right there. Perfect. Talking with Jonathan Sharks at Jonathan T-J-A-R-K-S. Again, staff writer for The Ringer, doing a great job over there as always. Make sure you're following him if you don't already. And uh, we're finishing up here again on the 3 and D podcast. I'm Joe Molinax filling in for Justin Lewis this week. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this. And, and like I said, that's a perfect way to end it. To me, the main key, and Morant and Jaron are obviously – 1A and 1B. They are the two franchise cornerstones at this stage. Justice Winslow and the acquisition of him, which weakened the team in the short term. There's no way to kind of get around that. It did. Memphis got worse because Winslow couldn't play. So in the short term, it hurt Memphis last year. They're making a calculated bet, just like they are with the deals that they signed Melton and Conchar and Porter to. They didn't lose any draft capital. But they got worse in the short term. They lost 2020 free agency money, which is a good thing. I mean, good Lord, Jeremy Grant got over $20 million. Uh, Gordon Hayward's making $30 million a year. So it's it's a good thing maybe they didn't have free agency money uh, this season. Uh, but- okay, so now that you mentioned that, that that's kind of interesting. So would you rather have Winslow than Grant? Winslow at $13 million a year with a full team option for the next year? Just Absolutely. As, bas- as basketball players. As basketball players, Grant is probably a better player at this stage, but I would not want the guaranteed money that they put on Grant. Why not? I mean, like, what does Memphis can do with the cap space? Beyond, I think Memphis like can else? use it to acquire more players <laughs> in terms of uh, you can get – if you have that cap availability, right, you can put yourself in a position to be a player in unrestricted free agency if you want to be, but I don't think that's what they want to be. They've mm-hmm. never had success with that. The one time they did was Chandler Parsons, and My we God, all know how that Dallas, story ended. Dallas's favorite Chandler Parsons. <laughs> I, I loved Chandler Parsons. I thought it was going to work. Knees are awful. Curse knees. <laughs> yeah. Um, injuries suck. But anyway, um, I don't think that's the play. I think that they're going to try to either in the draft – so maybe you take a couple of future firsts, you move up in this draft if you really like Jalen Suggs or the Boston kid, you know, Jalen Green. Like there's a lot of options I don't think in this draft. This is the draft you're gonna be able to trade up into. Top of maybe the draft not. is too good. That's possible. I'm just saying as one possibility. Or you could use those picks to make a trade similar to what Toronto did when they went out and got Kawhi. You use those assets in a year or two to try to, when you're ready, when Jaron and Jackson or Jaron and Ja are, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old, you have the opportunity to bring in a third star to make a run at a title a few years from now, especially that 2024 Golden State pick. And the Utah Jazz pick will probably convey in 2022. So that, that to me is, are the two options. It's either the draft or you're making some sort of trade. They're not going to be able to bring somebody in an unrestricted free agency without a drastic overpay and it being uh, a risk that this front office has shown they're probably not willing to take. So to me, I would rather have Justice Winslow at this stage because I've Mm -hmm. seen him play enough to know that when he's healthy, and that's a major when because he has clearly had health issues, he is a theoretical perfect fit 
with this team in terms so? of its creation? Absolutely. In terms of its what creation. Again, I'm not as concerned about that. And he showed he was a 37% three-point shooter in his best year with the Heat. So it's but not low, that he's – But low volume, though. Uh, I, I mean, you already have your volume shooters. Dylan Brooks, but I'm Jaron saying, Jackson Jr. You've got, you've got Melton, low volume shooter. Clark, low volume shooter. And even Jaws not really a high volume three-point shooter. That's my concern. Jaws also a 21-year-old player who's you know going to – I mean, Brandon's more of a finished product than Jaws is at this yeah. point. But I feel I, like you can only have so many limit, low volume three point shooters. That's my concern. And I think losing Jaron, you kind of expose that. It's like Jaron's being asked to carry so much of the spacing load. But I also learn so is bring in more guys that only shoot threes. But I, I guess I'm not as concerned about quantity as I am quality. Uh, Jay Crowder is a great example of that. And it sounds like you and I might disagree on Jay Crowder. I think Jay Crowder was the greatest con man in Memphis Grizzlies history. <laughs> Uh, there are people that b- love Jay Crowder to death who think he was a, a, a phenomenal addition to the Memphis Grizzlies. Jonathan, he shot 29% from three, and he shot Ooh. more threes than Jaron Jackson Jr. Like if you had put those numbers <laughs> on Dylan Brooks, the t- people would have wanted to crucify or destroy, set up in tar and feather, Dylan Brooks. But because it was Jay Crowder and he is a veteran leader – uh, and you know, people try to talk to me about gravity with spacing. And uh, I mean, well, that's what I'm, I'm not, ta- I'm not like talking about Miami Jay Crowder. Cause obviously they were completely different players. Uh, they, they act like we gave up some all-star caliber piece and they didn't, they gave up Andre Iguodala who didn't want to be there. And they essentially gave uh, Solomon Hill to me. Solomon Hill was the most valuable piece of the trade because he Ooh, was somebody that I like that. That's well, a good pick. He, he played <laughs> and he played within himself. He didn't, but again, in fairness to Crowder, Taylor Jenkins, and this maybe helps further your point, Taylor Jenkins almost enabled Crowder to be that because he was willing to take the shot. Because he needed someone to open up the floor. Because sometimes it's more about the number of shots you take just by that. The sheer fact that you're shooting it forced the defense out. Well, then if there's an NBA executive that's listening to this, I'm six foot three. I'm about 270 pounds. I will shoot 10 threes a game. I'll throw them at the basket. You don't even have to pay me the minimum. You can just give me like a couple hundred bucks a game and I'll be ecstatic and I'll come play basketball. Hey, you could have been a good football player. Maybe. I was a good football player back in the day, oh, a you, long time were ago. Were you a line or D line? Offensive line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could have been a pulling guard, you know, uh, a, a time or two, a time or two back in the day. <laughs> um, but I, I do think Justice Winslow is going to be the key to this. Justice Winslow is going to be the guy that will help their ceiling in the short term. Long term is the interesting question because more and more when you combine health with flexibility, and I do think that's an important thing to understand. I think with that full team option that the Grizzlies have for the next season, it, you can make an argument that it makes sense for them to opt out of that even if Justice plays really well because that would between that and the expiring contract of Gorgie Jang the Dion De- De- uh, Waiters contract coming off the books. Is he the Grizz- still in Memphis? No, he's not in Memphis. They waived no, him. They, they didn't That's stretch right. him. Yeah, they yeah. just outright waived him. So okay. all that money comes off the books. You finagle a couple other contracts here and there. They could have a max slot. And again, I don't think that they go after Giannis or anything like that. But they, they that just allows more flexibility, even if they opt out and then decide to bring him back in. Uh, on a different type of contract. So Justice Winslow and how he plays, obviously it's massive for him, 
but it's also for massive sure. for the Grizzlies because if Winslow can be that creator, if he can play defense the way that we think he's capable of, he is going to make life so much easier for the Dylan Brooks of the world. And we're finally going to get to see what Dylan should be as a fourth, fifth, sixth best player on a team instead of being the guy next to Jaw who feels like he has to get his shots up because nobody else on the wing is capable well, of I doing Well, I mean, Dylan's going to feel that way regardless. You can, you can that might be that. true. That might be true. Um, but no, I, I think that it's going to be a fascinating season. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch it all kind of play out. And, and Jonathan, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for being flexible with us, obviously, with Justin out, uh, not feeling well under the weather. Um, I was happy to fill in and have this chat with you. Uh, again, one of the most knowledgeable writers about the NBA out there. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, make sure you're doing so at Jonathan T-J-A-R-K-S. Staff writer at The Ringer. After multiple appearances on 3ND, you are officially a friend of the 3ND podcast. So, well, so well, welcome to the club. Honor? I don't know. That, that's a great honor. Absolutely. <laughs> a friend of the GBB podcast network. We appreciate you, buddy. We'll have you back on down the road. All right, cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing on Google Podcasts, Spotify, essentially any way that you can get a podcast, you can get the GBB Podcast Network, 3ND, Core 4, Starting 5, GBB Live, all our great shows. Make sure you're following all of us on Twitter. Make sure you're following the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. GBB continues to remain one of the best ways to follow the Memphis Grizzlies. And we thank you guys for listening. Again, for Jonathan, for Justin, hopefully I did him proud uh, filling in here. I'm Joe Molinax. This has been the 3ND Podcast.